Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Welcome back, America. It's Monday night. We're here, and it's the 11th of September. It's been 22 years since the uh, attack that hit New York City, that hit Pennsylvania, that hit uh, Washington, D.C., and all I could say is, you know, I, I lived through that moment, obviously, like many of you that are listening, and I, I was in... Uh, I worked in Manhattan at the time. I wasn't in Manhattan that day. Strangely enough, I'll tell you a quick little story. I, uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, was born just a few months before that. She was born in, in July, and I was getting ready for work like I usually do. And I was straightening my tie in the mirror, and I was just really kind of lollygagging. And uh, my uh, then wife told me, uh, you know, you're going to be late. You're going to miss your bus into the city, and, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a, a big deal. And I remember just, you know, going, yeah, 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 sure, sure. And for whatever reason, I just I felt uneasy about going to work that day. I felt like playing hooky. And so I was just waiting, watching the news, seeing what's going on. She was like, you better hurry up. There's probably going to be traffic because some little little uh, passenger plane hit um, hit one of the Twin Towers. Now, and I thought to myself at the time, hmm, a little plane hit uh, the, one of the Twin Towers. And I thought, man, that's interesting. Uh, and I thought it was, you know, like uh, like a small charter plane that was doing like pirouettes and, and stunts because that was pretty common. Earlier that year, or maybe the, the summer before, my grandfather, God rest his soul, had come to visit from Puerto Rico. And we did a tour of New York, like a bunch of tourists. And it was really cool. We did the hop on, hop off bus and all that stuff. And I remembered um, I had shortly before that taken a scenic helicopter ride around New York Harbor, around the Statue of Liberty, and they, they did these little pirouettes between the Twin Towers and, you know, like turning the helicopter sideways and whatnot. And I thought, well, we should do that with my grandfather. But we, we didn't get him on the chopper. We just um, hung out in front of the Twin Towers and took a million pictures. And he was like, wow, these things are so much bigger in real life than they look on TV. And it was, you know, it was, it was a nice time. And so I thought to myself while I was watching the news that oh, it must have been somebody, you know, doing a stunt or something while they were you know, doing a tour or something on a, on an airplane instead of a helicopter. And, you know, I'm straightening my tie for the 15th time and wanting to follow this story. And again, having ADHD, you know, I can, I can get sucked into things very quickly. As I'm watching the, um, the news, they say, oh, another plane is hit. And then the, the story started to change saying, these aren't little, um, uh, Cessnas or biplanes. These are 
actual uh, commercial aircraft. And I was thinking, wow, that's crazy. And they're showing it on television. And from my bedroom window, I could see the Twin Towers. So I opened up the, um, the, the window, and there it was. There was smoke coming from the top of the Twin Towers because they're the highest point of the skyline. And I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy. And, you know, again, my then wife was saying, my ex-wife now, she was saying, wow, I wonder what's going on, you know. And, I, and right away I said, it, it's, it's war. <laughs> you know, that's how my brain works. I was like, it's war. It's the damn terrorists. And she was like, oh, Rich, you're always, uh, you know, thinking the worst of everything. And so I'm, I'm watching the news. I'm watching the news. And I'm looking at my, my little daughter who was um, in a crib. And she had her own room with a, with a crib in her room. But we had her in a bassinet in, in the master bedroom. And I remember thinking, I was like, you know, I don't know if there's crazy stuff going on in New York. Maybe I shouldn't go, shouldn't leave the baby alone, that type of thing. You know, I was really just looking for a reason to not go to work because I just had this, this gut feeling that I shouldn't go to work that day. And I, and I couldn't explain it. It was a very odd feeling. So uh, I never even called out uh, until way later. But I'm watching, I'm watching, and then they're saying, and then now they're getting the reactions from the people. They're saying chunks of the plane are falling off. Uh, before you know it, they start reporting more. And then, the TV stops working. After that second plane hit, the TV um, satellites and antennas that were on top of the World Trade Center were disabled. And I had to turn on the radio. And, of course, I switched to my local radio station in New York City at the time and heard, believe it or not, Curtis Sliwa doing the end of his program. Uh, He was a morning show host at the time, and he was giving this um, play-by-play of what was going on. And it it was just surreal. Uh, The TV eventually came back online, and they showed the image of the building imploding. And I thought it was fake. And I remember seeing it, you know, like like a con- like a controlled implosion, just like floor by floor, and just crumbling down. And it was live, right? Because it was helicopters and whatnot, and every channel was playing it. And when I went to my window to look out to see if, you know, is this real? It was so surreal. It had already happened because there's like a 30-second delay on television. And there was this gap in the New York skyline and two or one really pillar, a very thick pillar covering where both these towers stood of black smoke. And it was just amazing, like, wow. And, and you know, I, I showed her and I was like, wow, that's crazy. I was like, this isn't normal. And I'm not going to work. And at that point, I called my office and was like, I, I can't get in. They were like, yeah, nobody's getting in and out of the city. It's crazy right now. And, you know, later we've learned way more about what was happening at the time, what the government had to say, what the media had to say. But it was just just absolutely insane, absolutely insane. And uh, I'll never forget that day and, and that, you know, that when I moved the curtain to the side and I saw that these towers weren't there, they'd been there my entire life and they were gone. And, you know, again, in my head, I was like, these are terrorists. <laughs> these are terrorists that are doing this. And there's so many theories on how this happened. And, and the bottom line is they're terrorists, whether they were, you know, homegrown terrorists, terrorists from abroad, terrorists from wherever, they were terrorists nonetheless. And here we are 22 years later after a time of unity that came from New Yorkers and I think the entire country becoming more patriotic and, and be, you know, people were nicer to each other and there was a lot of camaraderie and and. It was a good thing, I think, at that point. Not a good thing that 9-11 happened, but a good thing about the unity that, that came about as a result. And here we are 22 years later, and that unity is long gone. They replaced the building with the Freedom Tower, 
And that stands there now as the tallest building in Manhattan. But it's still more polarized in America than ever. And I always try to find a purpose with whomever I'm discussing with. And, you know, I can get as belligerent as the next guy if pushed. But I think it's important for us to try to find common ground and to try to coexist with our neighbors. And I know there's a lot of my colleagues uh, and, and listeners that don't agree with my philosophy that, you know, you can have friends on the left or have friends that are liberals or whatever. But I just I, I reject that because, again, look at where I come from. Right. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I live in North Jersey now. And in this part of the world, everybody is is so um, liberal. <laughs> you know, so you'll, you'd never go on a date. You'd never have a, a handful of friends if, if, if you didn't move. So I think it, it's still important for us to try to find that, that place where we can agree on something rather than focus on what divides us. But here we are, 22 years later. And I want to look back at 9-11 and have a discussion with the man who was the outgoing mayor, America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. He was the mayor of New York City. He was outgoing mayor. Mike Bloomberg was the incoming mayor. And Rudy Giuliani really rose to prominence for probably the second or third time in his career because he, he had already had a storied career as a prosecutor and a, and a great run as mayor. But he became America's mayor that day. And I want to talk to him about that and the relentless witch hunt against him and Donald Trump and really Republicans of every stripe. Straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we're discussing the 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And no one really knows it better than the mayor of New York City, the outgoing mayor of New York City at the time, America's mayor, a guy who had served as a deputy attorney general of the United States under Ronald Reagan and then became the United States attorney for the Southern District of New York and took on the mob and FARC and so many um, bad hombres, if you will. And he went on to, to rise to national prominence yet again for his leadership in a time of crisis in New York City. That's none other than my former colleague in New York City Radio, and I, I, I dare call him a friend because he's a great patriot, Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rich. Thank you very, very much. You bet. Now, Mr. Mayor, obviously uh, you've been doing interviews all day, and you, you do this quite a bit because you're an authority on this. Um, looking back, right, there's 22 years that have passed, and wow. there was this— this time of unity, right, that came about, yet somehow today we're at a place where that unity is not only just dissipated, but it seems like the divide is is worse than ever. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, no question about that. You know, and, you know, if you think about it, we had just come out of the very, very uh, divisive uh, two, 2000 election with mm -hmm. the hanging chads. And, hanging chads. And the decision 
Really? I mean, if you think about it, the decision made in the Supreme Court that Bush was the president. So um, we were coming out of a lot of turmoil and we, we came together immediately. Now, I look at today and I wish I could. You know, until a few years ago, I would have said we would overcome it. Uh, now, I don't believe we would. I believe that the divisions are so great, we really just don't trust each other. Yeah. Uh, and I also think you'd have to have the media somehow go through uh, uh, kind of a major change in the way they operate. They're much more dishonest than they were back in back in two thousand and one. They're they're. Um, their coverage has always had biases in it. They've been pro Democrat biased since at least, oh my goodness, Goldwater, uh, Nixon, and Kennedy. But not to the degree, and now it's not even biased. It's like a, um, it's like an illness. Yeah. Mr. You Mayor. Can't, you, you, you can't discuss things with them rationally. Sadly. Extraordinarily yeah, stu stupid things. Uh, you listen to MSNBC and CNN, and uh, you're wondering what happened to their brain. Right. I want to ask you a question because I think the audience really wants to know. Uh, what is the, the moment of, of that day, 9-11-2001, that most sticks out in memory for you? Oh, my. It's the, it's the watching... The first person that I saw jump um, when I got to the scene of the World Trade Center and I walked up to the fire department command post as I was walking up, I was looking up way into the sky and I saw this man standing on a window ledge and I realized he was contemplating whether to get burned or jump. And all of a sudden he's just, I don't know if he jumped or he fell, but I watched him come all the way down and heard his body smash. And that was that was the um, that, that was the moment that changed my emotions about it too. It, it, How uh, so? Well, it said to me we're in something very different. This is this isn't um, this isn't the usual even catastrophic New York City emergency which I was used to. This is something very different. It, uh, this has been a, uh, this has been a really massive attack and we're not dealing, we're not dealing, we're dealing with a, you know, a once in a lifetime situation here. And, and th therefore we've never been through it. So we better deal with it very carefully and with, with humility. I told Bernie Carrick, we don't have a playbook for this. We're just going to have to make up our decisions and ask God to make it correct. Right. Now, uh, I remember seeing that on television, and I thought it was just chunks of the building falling out until they actually that zoomed is, in. That's interesting, Rich. Yeah, I did, too. First couple of times, I was actually told that people were jumping by one of my deputy mayors. And when I looked up, I don't know if I didn't see it or I actually did see some debris falling. And I thought he was sort of exaggerating. Uh, he, he was you know, overtaken by the, by the situation and exaggerated. So when I, 
maybe five minutes later when I got closer to the building and I was basically right underneath it. And I saw the man, I paid a lot. I was paying attention to it. I said, is it show right or not? And then I could see the man standing there and you begin. I mean, you just naturally say to yourself, I wonder what he's going through. What the heck is he going? I mean, obviously he's saying to himself, should I burn to death or should I end it by jumping? Right. It's very hard to count. I mean, it's very hard to to absorb that. And then, of course, to see him come down and see his body. It's hard to describe what happened to it. Uh, I'd rather not. But uh, right. it was pretty horrible. And then I probably saw another four or five after that uh, and really didn't have time to pay attention to them because I had to make decisions. But that was, a, re- that, was a tur- that was a turning point. And mm-hmm. I guess uh, when I have when I have um, bad thoughts about it, that's the image that comes back the most often. When did you realize? With uh, we got about a minute and a half before the break. When did you realize that this was actually a terrorist attack? Was it something immediate for you, or did did it sink in after you were on site? Well, I was originally told it was a twin engine plane that it hit the North Tower. So, uh, I, and I walked outside, I saw it was a clean, clean, um, a clean, clear day. And I thought, uh, well, this probably is not an accident. So this is probably uh, some kind of a uh, crazy situation with somebody trying to get even or suicide mm-hmm. or, terror, or terrorist. Uh, I didn't think it was terrorist in particular, but we began immediately as if it were. Because my theory of emergency management is you always go with the worst. You you begin with the Mm -hmm. worst premise so you don't lose time. Because uh, if it wasn't, I would have lost no time. Uh, But if it was a terrorist attack, I would have lost precious time in getting people in the building. And uh, so I always go with, I mean, that was our rule. Take the worst situation and then scale down from there. When the second plane hit, then I knew it was a terrorist attack, for sure. And I knew who it was, because he had threatened us. Mm. Ben Laden had threatened us, had threatened to attack New York City two or three times. And I was kind of very annoyed at, at Clinton for his reactions to Ben Laden's uh, attacks, particularly uh, his attack on the coal, which is an act of war, which Clinton retaliated by bombing an empty field. Wow. Folks, we're on with America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, uh, mayor of New York City, outgoing mayor of New York City at the time of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And uh, we were discussing how America became united and how we're so divided today, so divided that the man that used RICO to bring down the mob is now being prosecuted for RICO himself. We're going to learn about that and his legal defense straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Tune in at richvaldezamericatnight.com or give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, our guest, America's Mayor Rudy Giuliani, former uh, lawyer for President Trump, and he's facing legal challenges. Um, as I understand it, he's a co-conspirator in a RICO case that's been brought by Funny Willis. She is the uh, district attorney in um, Fulton County, Georgia, uh, charging him with representing his client, as I see it. Mayor Giuliani, uh, we've heard so much about this this case, and I, I know that you've um, filed a challenge against them. Tell us about it. Well, I mean, it's very hard for me to understand the case because if, as a lawyer for 50 years and mostly a criminal lawyer, it doesn't charge a crime. And basically, I guess the only way I would describe it is she claims that my defense or my uh, uh, a representation of Trump is based upon what she regards as false statements. Uh, and she uh, sets herself up as the arbiter of truth and says that if you allege that the election was stolen, you're lying. Not just wrong, but you're lying. You know you're wrong. In other words, you have to believe what she believes. You're now, not allowed life, to... In real not, life, I just want to ask a question. Because I, I feel like if a lawyer lies in representing his client, is is this uh, something that you typically get charged for? Is it something you get disbarred for? What's How does that normally handle? It really depends on the significance of the lie, right? Right. Uh, if it's an exaggeration or uh, something that isn't like a fraud or something that's going to get money, probably it's um, it's accepted. I mean, there even are Supreme Court decisions that say you have to give lawyers arguing a case a lot of leeway. And they might even say in a few of them, certain forms of deception are, are at least tolerated. They're not encouraged, but tolerated. Right. But, and I I'm mean, not saying that you lied. I'm just saying you don't typically no, I, get charged with I mean, a RICO I, I, case, every, right? Everything, everything that I did is based on something that someone told me. So I didn't make it up. Now, you know, when you're a lawyer, you don't have the time when you're developing a case, particularly under the kind of time pressure we have here. I couldn't examine in great detail everything I was being told. I had to get in front of the court all the allegations I could get so that we could have a hearing in which we could examine them more carefully. So, uh, the basic standard here is, do you have a basis for it? So suppose you come in and tell me, uh, I went to vote, and when I went to vote, somebody already voted for me and uh, uh, and had basically stolen my registration. So hmm. I, 
I don't know exactly how much investigating I'd have to do of that before I could allege it, just allege it. And, and I remember <laughs> at the time you, you had a 9 p.m. show in New York and I was covering your show. I think I covered you for like a month while you were in Georgia holding hearings with the legislature, huh? interviewing these witnesses that gave you these statements. Yeah, and they all came from witnesses. And uh, did I have the time to go investigate them the way I would, let's say, when I was a U.S. attorney and had endless amount of time to bring the case? No. I mean, the election was going to be over in two weeks, so you have only two weeks to bring the case. Uh, and, the, and the courts even give you um, leeway there. That's where they, they basically say you don't have to be as accurate in an election case as you do in others, because very often you don't have the time. So you're allowed to put out allegations so you don't lose them. And then if they turn out to be false, well, they're just not going to help you in the long run. I mean, it's, it's, you're not going to get very far with a false allegation that you can't prove. Right. So and in my, you case, are now. I, in my case, and in the case of Professor Eastman, who is the other, I mean, one of the other lawyers charged, he basically is being charged with a const- arguing a constitutional theory they disagree with. Right. So, and the Supreme Court hasn't agreed or disagreed with either them or him. So uh, they're, they're, I mean, they're basically, he, he, he is saying that the vice president presiding over the, uh, presiding over the Congress when there are challenges to the electoral college has the discretion to take a delay and let a state inquire further if they believe they need more time. So Pence had four, I believe five requests to do that. And Pence said, I don't have the power to do no Nowhere does it say I have the power to do that. On the other hand, it doesn't say anywhere that he doesn't have the power to do it. So the Constitution and the law is silent on it. And if you go way back to 1800, there is a precedent where Thomas Jefferson did it. Hmm. And and he actually he actually declared for himself. (laughs) How convenient. So, so Mayor, now you filed. And and by the way, he was right. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't it, it, it turned out in the long run. He had made the correct decision. He's it really was a legitimate vote for him. And, uh, the, and eventually the courts upheld it. But the law has been, the, uh, several laws have been changed since then. That's never been mentioned. So this is something that the Supreme Court has never decided. Right. Uncharted so territory. A lawyer, I mean, I, I was taught I can argue anything uh, that the Supreme Court hasn't decided. And even then I can argue they're wrong. So now you you filed this new um, this new brief against them, and you're you they've pretty much tried to corner you and everybody else. Uh, what's mm-hmm. that looking like financially uh, for you? Is it is it? Do you think this is going to be a slam dunk your defense? Or do you think it's going to be no, a hard road? No, no, no. I, I would be a slam dunk if I were in a. I mean, I'm in Georgia. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, last time I checked, it was a pretty damn crooked city. <laughs> I mean, right. which means that. The courts are not exactly on the up and up. I mean, what, what, what in a crooked democratic city, what's the first thing they do? They corrupt the courts. 
the judges are selected by the Democratic leaders. Sure. So in New York, for example, you think you elect judges. You don't. The Democratic district leaders select the person who's put on the Democratic ticket, and then mindlessly, 70% of the electorate votes for the Democrat. They don't even know who the judge is. So really, the judges in New York are selected by the leading Democratic politician in the district. They're not well, elected by the people. You've been through a, a ton with the New York State Bar, with with so many people launching allegations against you, really just for, for in my opinion, vigorously defending your client. And, and here you are. How can the audience help you with your legal defense? I have a legal defense fund. I'm going to ask Ted to tell me, to give me the... the um, the number for it, uh, and that help that will help me because I have uh, eight cases. I also have the opportunity, possibly, to bring some cases against them Good. for defaming me and harming me, which I which I literally don't have the resources for. So I will use that uh, to try to also see if I can straighten out some of these uh, defamations to help me and the president. Well, I, I want I'm going to pledge to to make a gift to that today. And I know the, gonna, the website I'll, I'll that I've you, seen is RudyFun.com. Is that correct? Is that it? Dead RudyFun.com? The Rudy Freedom Fund. Rudy Freedom yeah, Fund. The Rudy Freedom Fund. And uh, one of the ways that you can send a check to P.O. Box 309, 3300 South Dixie Highway, West Palm Beach, Florida. And is there a phone number that people who don't have internet access could call to make a donation? Uh, is there an internet connection, Ted? That's the, that's the, that would be the way to send it by mail. Mm. The Rudy Freedom Fund, P.O. Box 309, 3300 South Dixie Highway, West Palm Beach, Florida, 33405. That's, that's by mail. That's by mail. You know what I'll do? I'll get you the other. You can put it on tomorrow night, all right? RudyFund.com. Oh, RudyFund.com. RudyFund.com. Okay, that's what I have. The other way to do it. Well, folks, join me in uh, donating to Rudy Giuliani's Legal Defense. Uh, You can do it by check. Rudy Giuliani Legal Defense Fund, P.O. Box 20989, West Palm Beach, Florida, 33416, or go to RudyFund.com. And support America's mayor, because Mr. Mayor, I look at this as you're not only defending yourself, you're defending the rights of all Americans, and they just have the target put on you because you had the guts to stand up. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, that is absolutely true, and they are, and they are proceeding against others. I mean, they've brought uh, two bar association cases against Alan Dershowitz, for example. Wow. Um, and they do, and they're doing this because whether they win or lose. They can deplete you financially, and uh, and that will deter other people from wanting to take on the problem. Right. You know, uh, particularly if it's someone who doesn't feel as strongly about these things as I do, they're just going to back away. And then it becomes very hard, not just for Donald Trump, but for anyone involved with him to get lawyers. The two people that were indicted with him uh, in the case in uh, in in Florida, they had a hell of a time getting lawyers. It took one guy a month before he got a lawyer. Because people are afraid. 
They'll go it's broke. Not just meant, it's not just meant to. It's, it's it's meant to take on a big name. You know, Giuliani, Meadows, Eastman, and whether they win or lose, by the time they're finished, nobody even knows. Like for example, the FBI raided my house, raided my law office. When it was when they did it, Rick, all the press said. Basically, I must be guilty, or the FBI wouldn't have raided me, right? Mm-hmm. Two and a half years later, later, they finish, and they write a letter to the grand jury saying they found no evidence of a crime. So where there's smoke, there's fire. There was no fire. It was just right, a they're bunch just of making the smoke. smoke. Yeah, and, and to me, and I can't even get the damn affidavits, because I, am, I, I have a hard time trying to figure out to get a search warrant, you have to have probable cause a crime was committed. But what did the crime go away? Why, why couldn't they at least charge that crime? Maybe they never had a crime in the first place, and it's a completely illegal warrant. But I can't get the warrant or, or the affidavit. They're saying it has too, many, too much sensitive information. You're done right, it does. The sensitive but- information is violating my rights and Donald Trump's rights. Yeah, it I sounds mean, like a violation of the Sixth Amendment for you to defend yourself. You're darn right it is, it's, and it's a violation of his Sixth Amendment right as well. Unbelievable. I mean, they have, they, you know, when people say there's a two-tiered justice system, I say, well, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. A two-tiered justice system is no justice. Right. There's either justice or there justice, isn't. Justice is equal, right? 100%. Folks, we're on with America's Mayor Rudy Giuliani. I want to give you that address one more time. Uh, it's the Rudy Giuliani Legal Defense Fund, P.O. Box 20989, West Palm Beach, Florida, 33416, if you want to send a check by mail, or just go to rudyfund.com and make a donation. That's Rudy, R-U-D-Y, fund, F-U-N-D, dot com. I'll be making a donation tonight, and I hope you will, too. Mr. Mayor, I want to thank you for being with us and staying up late with us. Um, thanks for commemorating uh, the 9-11 uh, uh, attack in New York City and sharing with us. And I wish you Godspeed in your defense. Well, thank you. Thank you. Talk to you, you bet. Yes, sir. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So free Rudy, right? Free Rudy. Again, that website is uh, RudyFund.com. And, you know, I'm glad that Trump is standing with Rudy Giuliani. President Trump is a stand-up guy. After uh, Mayor Giuliani got booked in Georgia last month, uh, Trump uh, put out a, a note on Truth Social. And he said, the greatest mayor in the history of New York City was just arrested in Atlanta because he fought for election integrity. For years, Rudy Giuliani served as President Trump's personal attorney and his legal advisor without pay, 
right? Just because, you know, for the love of the game, for, to make America great again. Now he's being faced with racketeering charges. I mean, it's, it's just absolute insanity to me that this is what's happening. He held New York City together, which I think in many ways held a, a lot of America together and brought America together after 9-11. And yet here he is being indicted on racketeering charges. I mean, it's, it's really one of the craziest things I've ever seen. He's, he's been a leader on a bunch of different things, and that's why they're going after him, the same way they go after Trump. This has nothing to do with fanaticism or, or you know, political party affiliation. This really has to do with if you've ever read the Constitution and believe that that's what this country is about, as I do, you can't sit here. You can't sit here and believe that this is a good thing in any way. Folks, help him out. Give him a donation. RudyFund.com. RudyFund.com. Your calls straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I want you to weigh in on uh, what your thoughts. Let's see what America thinks about the Rudy Giuliani situation where they're coming at him for racketeering for defending Donald Trump in the 2020 election. Let's go to Michigan and check in with Kim. She's listening online. Rich Valdez, AmericaAtNight.com. Kim, go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Thanks for having Rudy on. He's just he's just wonderful. Uh, I just wanted to say all this stuff, uh, all this uh, the other side going after people that worked in President Trump's administration has me so upset and angry. Um, last week, I gave $40 to President Trump's legal def- defense fund, and I gave $10 to Peter Navarro's legal fund. And I'm going to call into Rudy's, too. But they're going after Steve Bannon and Rudy and, like he said, Meadows and his lawyer, John Eastman. This is what they do in communist countries. And President Trump, he has to win this time so he can pardon all these people and a lot of the um, uh, January 6th people also. What do you think? Listen, I I think I I don't know that he'll be able to pardon anybody that's being um, charged or and hopefully not convicted on on state charges like the Georgia case, the New York case. But uh, anybody that's uh, unfairly charged on a on a federal case, I think he'll have the power to do that if he's elected. And I agree. We we need a a new president. And I'm hoping that it's, it's Donald Trump. But. We, we can't get there if they continue to do this stuff, right? Or I guess we're going to have to get there in spite of it. And the, the biggest thing here, I think, is is the way they're just really undermining the literal rule of law, where they might claim that Trump and Giuliani were undermining the rule of law. And that's fine. Bring the case if you can. If there's an actual crime, charge them for the crime. But when you're charging the president's lawyer or lawyers in this case and, and 16 or 17 other people – this literally is is throwing a wrench in in the uh, in the in the gears that's going to stop him from a running for president and b from effectively defending himself because he's got to raise money for that he's got to raise money for the campaign he's got to do all sorts of things and that's what it's designed to do it's designed to make you broke so that you will shut up and put up and that's not something any American should stand for because 
if they're doing it to the big people, they're going to do it to you. And I always say, it's not like they're going to do it next. They've been doing it to the little people, and now it's so out of hand, they're doing it to bigger people, bigger targets. And, and that's the scary part. When your constitutional rights go out the window, when your right to legal counsel and representation are usurped by prosecutors who are overzealous and start going after your lawyer so that you can't have representation, this is not America, and that's not justice. Kim, thank you for your call. Big shout out to everybody in Michigan. And folks, there's a lot more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our discussions this evening. I want to talk a little bit about what's up with Marxism and how do we build the military, make it strong again. We're going to do that with Frank Gaffney straight ahead. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be with you on this Monday evening as we uh, um, remember the 9-11 attacks 22 years ago. And something that happened over the weekend that was really interesting was the uh, burning of American flags. Now, I know there's always a flag-burning story out there somewhere, but this one's interesting. Listen to the headline. Communist revolutionaries set fire to American flags in protest outside of a Jason Aldean concert, saying, we will try it right in front of your concert. Uh, This group, it's about 20 communists, belonging to a club called uh, Revolution Club Chicago. They're part of what's known as REVCOM, the Revolutionary Communist Party, They uh, assembled outside of the uh, arena uh, shouting phrases like F the U.S. and all its might. They torched the flags, according to a video that was shared by News to Share. And uh, the group was also filmed taking jabs at Aldine's song, Try That in a Small Town, labeling the uh, singer a piece of fascist S word. Um, then another uh, headline here. Uh, guess what, Jason? We will try that in a small town. One activist uh, was reported to say, uh, "This is uh, just the, your run-of-the-mill communists doing what run-of-the-mill communists do: burning flags and hating America." And it, it it begs the question: Who in their right mind would would in in reality like? I understand the free speech aspect of flag burning. It's supported by the uh, or upheld by the United States Supreme Court. But when we really analyze this, what is the purpose of one trashing and hating America, of repeating Fidel Castro and Che Guevara uh, talking points like the evil imperialist Americans, yada, 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 or praising Mao Zedong's communist uh, revolution, the um, the the um, the the death, the murder, destruction that that caused. I mean, I just think it's it's absolute insanity in my opinion but this is where we are and it's not just limited to protests outside of a jason aldean concert 
I think there are comrades, communist sympathizers, alive and well within the United States government, within the United States military, within lots of uh, establishments in our country. And and this is problematic. And over the weekend on Chuck Tad, uh, excuse me, Chuck Tad, <laughs> Chuck Todd's uh, final program, he's retiring, by the way, um, former Ambassador Nikki Haley, who's running for president, had an exchange with him regarding uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville and uh, his stance. He's uh, holding the line on an important issue. And I want you to listen to this clip. We don't need to be using military families as political pawns. That's a mistake. These, the military members and families, they sacrifice enough. They don't need to be a pawn in Congress. But look at the political games that continue to play. Chuck Schumer could still get this done if he went through and listed each member and had Congress vote on each member. But Ambassador, right do, you, now, do you know what that would do? I mean, do you really want to have? I mean, the tradition is, generally speaking, that, that the Senate just votes uh, unanimous consent for 300 people to be promoted. Oh, you think the military is political now? You really want to have the U.S. Senate voting on somebody being promoted to major, to lieutenant colonel, to colonel, to ambassador, I mean, to uh, admiral. To, I mean, every single person is going to have their social media posts scrubbed. You really want, like, in the U.S. military, Bernie Sanders, Joe Manchin, like, everybody's going to decide everybody's promotions. This is how we're going to do uh, promotions from now on. Well, if you're going to talk about tradition, shouldn't Department of Defense do things the right way so we're never in this mess to start with? Let's, I mean, let's call it like we see it. Department of Defense started this. I'm not saying Senator Turbeville is right in doing this because I don't want to use them as pawns. But if you love our military, if you are so adamant about it, then go and make Congress. Republicans and Democrats have to go through person by person. Do you honestly think they won't say, OK, this is ridiculous. Let's put an end to it. Well, I, they will. That's Nikki Haley on with Chuck Todd. And uh, I want to get to the bottom of her comments because I don't know that we're holding people as pawns as much as holding the line. Uh, so help to help us decide whether she's right or wrong on this issue of uh, former football coach Tommy Tuberville, now U.S. Senator, uh, blocking the Senate approval of promotions of hundreds of military personnel over the Biden administration's politicization of our armed forces. This is a, a, a big contentious issue where there's funding for abortions. And he's putting that on hold. And it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting place because she's running for president and he's trying to stand up for what he believes is right. I want to get to the bottom of this with our guest. And that's Frank Gaffney. He's executive chairman and founder of the Center for Security Policy. And I'd like to get to the bottom of it with him. Frank Gaffney, welcome back. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much. You bet. So where, where do you land on this? Uh, Nikki Haley says uh, that uh, Senator Tuberville is holding um, military folks hostage in many ways, using them as pawns. And um, Coach Senator Tuberville, he's um, holding the line for what he believes is right. Where do you weigh in on that? I think it's actually pretty clear cut. Uh, Senator Tuberville is doing what the Constitution mandates the uh, Senate, the con Congress, uh, to some extent, but in this case specifically the Senate to do, and that is to serve as a quality control mechanism uh, for uh, senior personnel in the United States military. And in this instance, 
All right, sounds like we're having trouble connecting with Frank Gaffney. And uh, while we try to reestablish that connection, uh, the, the, the issue at hand, again, is, and I agree with Frank Gaffney on this, by the way, I think uh, Senator Tuberville is doing the right thing here. Uh, but it, it's becoming a political issue because of the Biden administration, right? Because they're trying to figure out all of these different backdoor ways to undo what, what, what the court decided last June when they overturned Roe v. Wade. So here they come doing all sorts of um, maneuvers to try and get their way. And he's doing what he's called to do in his role in oversight and his role in representing the people of his state, Frank Gaffney. Yeah, I apologize for the interruption there. Uh, Here's the bottom line. Senator Tuberville is standing up for the law, uh, which if they want to change the law, there are mechanisms for doing that, but this is not the way to do it. What he has said initially was, look, if uh, you're going to use federal funds in connection with abortions, um, that's contrary to the law. I'm not going to permit you to do it. I will oppose these nominations until you change course. They could at any time change course. Uh, it's also the case, as Nikki Haley said, that they they could bring up these individuals as uh, as individual uh, votes and have those votes cast uh, pursuant to Senate rules. But here's the really important piece that I think your audience especially needs to know is now afoot. Thanks to Senator Tuberville's initial hold, it's become obvious that quite a number of these uh, individual members of the military, some of whom are being promoted to extremely senior positions. For example, the top military officer in the United States, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is a guy by the name of, uh, the guy being nominated for this position is a fellow by the name of General C.Q. Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, the top naval officer, the chief of naval operations, is a woman by the name of Lisa Franchetti. Uh, these are very senior people, and it turns out that they are deeply involved in promoting what I think is properly understood a Marxist, cultural Marxist, takedown of the United States military. And the United States Senate, I think, has to become involved in doing the job that is assigned it under the Constitution. And specifically, they have, you know, it's kind of like people who've got a serious drinking problem or a drug abuse problem <laughs> or something. You need an intervention. Yeah, and this is the job of the Senate to do, and I think Senator Tuberville deserves a lot of credit for doing his part. Folks, we're on with Frank Gaffney. Uh, he is the founder and the chairman of the Center for Security Policy, and also vice chairman of the Committee for the Present Danger. And I want to talk about China a little bit, and and that committee as well. And it's it just fascinates me how we have these flag burning hippies that are slowly but surely making their way into our government and guiding and influencing our military. It's not a good thing. We're going to continue this discussion straight ahead. If you want to weigh in on the conversation, feel free. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 5337 833 for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. 
is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. Nobody likes having celebrated international meetings if you don't know what you want at the meeting. If you don't have a game plan. He may have a game plan. He just hasn't shared it with me. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. So President Biden flew to uh, Hanoi, Vietnam, uh, to discuss all sorts of crazy things from um, John Wayne to lying dog-faced pony soldiers to China to what's going on with the stability in the region and just so much more. But he decided he was going to bed because he's Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe. and But it, it, it kind of highlights the ineffectiveness of him as a leader on the global stage. And I think it also lends itself to the instability that the United States has really, uh, I should say the weakness rather than instability, the weakness that we've uh, continued to amass, right? We, we, we're like stocking up weakness in, at every stop with Joe Biden. And I want to get uh, the reaction of Frank Gaffney on that because it's, uh, it, it's lamentable for me to look at uh, any chief executive, any commander in chief of the United States to be this weak and disoriented whether it's jet lag or anything else. Frank Gaffney, executive chairman and founder of the Center for Security Policy and vice chair of the Committee for Present Danger. What's your reaction to President Biden's visit to Vietnam and all this crazy talk? Well, I think as far as it goes, what you've said is true. Um, The weakness, uh, the obvious uh, mental impairment, uh, as well as physical condition, all conveys uh, a very bad sort of uh, representation of our country. But that is only part of the problem. I I think what the president has been doing rather systematically, although his administration is going to considerable lengths to try to conceal it, has been a a twofold policy. And I think this applies to basically everything that he's done since he came to office. Uh, One They've all been bad for America. And two, they've generally, if not entirely, been beneficial to our mortal enemy, the Chinese Communist Party. Mm-hmm. And I think what he's doing in Vietnam at the moment, which, you know, is kind of being cast as uh, though he said, no, I'm not, I'm not really trying to contain China. It's being cast as a response to China. I think in point of fact, which the Vietnamese have had their differences with the Chinese over the years. Yes, but they're mostly working for the Chinese at the moment, specifically, uh, most of the factories that we're told are now uh, evidence of an effort to diversify our supply chains, get them away from the kind of stranglehold that China currently has on most things, are actually owned by the Chinese. They just happen to be in Vietnam. And uh, so they get a made in Vietnam label on them and get in, whereas stuff that uh, is made in China may not. But this is, this is just a, a small subset of uh, what I believe is a policy of appeasement and uh, submission, really, to the Chinese. And it couldn't be more dangerous at a moment when the Chinese are having their own internal difficulties, uh, yes, but they're also, I think, uh, those difficulties reinforcing their appetite for something that is exceedingly dangerous, namely a shooting war. 
uh, with Taiwan, yeah, but uh, I think with us as well. You know, I look at this, and I, th- I think you, you hit the nail on the head it, with respect to Biden making good or making this partnership with Vietnam is really just another another nod, a wink and a nod at China to amass more power and for him again to be subservient to the Chinese Communist Party, which is bewildering in and of itself. But it's it's also, I think, very dangerous for, for us to engage in these things and to, to, to look at China as an adversary or as even a partner, a global partner, which it seems like that's what Biden and his administration are doing. Looking at China in that way, I think, only allows us to 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 further be weakened, uh, both in our ability to respond, in in our um, how we're perceived by other countries. What do you think are the ramifications of this visit? Well, again, it goes back to what we started with. Um, I, th- I think that this is happening against the backdrop of uh, clearly perceptible weakening of not only the presidency in the person of Joe Biden, but also um, the military, which is, the, at the end of the day, the, the last great impediment to the Chinese ambitions. If, if both of those are weak and uh, uh, suggesting to them that there are opportunities that could be exploited to their advantage, uh, I, I think the visit to uh, Vietnam and, uh, and to India before that uh, and so much else that he's been doing, as I said, uh, is uh, actually kind of incentivizing the Chinese. And, and let's be clear, Rich, that a lot of wars begin on the basis of misperceptions or at least miscalculations. And uh, we could be at the cusp of just such a thing. And uh, God help us if it eventuates. Yeah. And Frank Gaffney, with about a minute to go, I just want to get your take on this, because Biden effectively denied that we're in a Cold War with China, which I can't believe he did, because when, when did that end, right? I mean, I think we we're, we're definitely at odds. They, they've declared unrestricted warfare on us and everybody else that they want to conquer. What What's the, the, the damage that was done? Is this just rhetoric, or or do you think there's a little bit more to it? Well, I think there's a lot more to it. And, uh, you know, we've written a book called The Indictment, which is about the Chinese Communist Party and its friends and what they've been up to. Uh, The friends are elites that have been captured, as the Chinese call it, and Joe Biden is the poster child of that. I think that their calculation is he works for them, not for us. And all of that fits into uh, a very dangerous environment. Well, Frank Gaffney, I want to thank you for your time and really shedding some light on this. Let everybody know where they could uh, find out more about your organization. Uh, PresentDangerChina.org is where you can find our webinars and uh, much about the book. Uh, The IndictmentBook.com is where you can get the book. Um, SecureFreedom.org is where you can find the the mothership of our work. Outstanding. Uh, Check out the book. Check out the website, SecureFreedom.org. Frank Gaffney, Executive Chairman. Center for Security Policy. Thanks for staying up late with us. I appreciate it. Privilege. Thank you, Rich. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And have you ever wondered why some people seem to naturally hit it off with other people? And um, how some people are just really kind of uh, impressed with how they're able to transform that positive first impression into a relationship that helps them achieve their goals in life or business. You know, uh, it, some people just have a, a gift, right? A gift for it. Or is it a skill set? Well, that's what we're going to talk about because our guest, Joe Brocato, he's a senior partner with the law firm of Gazzecchi del Giudice, Americas, Farkas, and Brocato. And he's written a book. It's called Hit It Off. 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business. And I think, personally, I've read a, a bunch of books like this over the years, and all of them, I've been able to take away something from all of them because, ultimately, everybody approaches these things differently, you know, and and so many of these things, I think, last with you a lifetime, whether it's in personal relationships or in business relationships, you can't go wrong with understanding how people work and how to improve your relationships and your communication, as well as, you know, just really overall uh, gaining more emotional intelligence as you move on through life and work. So I want to welcome Joe Brocato. Welcome to the program. Well, it's good to be here, Rich. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. So let's talk about the book. I mean, you got 21 rules. We may not get through all of them, <laughs> but uh, uh, let's, let's start off with... Um, you know, um, obviously you're an attorney and you've been in business. Um, what was the inspiration for writing this particular book? Great question. I often get it. Um, really dates back to my childhood. Um, my grandfather and my father were uh, great mentors to me. And I remember one time I was with my grandfather. Uh, I grew up in a town called Berwyn. Uh, western suburbs of Chicago. And we were, I think I was about 10 years old at the time, actually. And we were sitting in a uh, muffler store because he had to get a new muffler for his car. And uh, we were sitting in the waiting room and it was just me, my grandfather and another gentleman. And my grandfather started chatting with this other man. Um, and after about 20 minutes or so, it seemed like they had known each other forever. Uh, like they were just very good friends. And I remember sitting there thinking, how the heck did he do that? How did these guys just hit it off with each other so easily? And I've essentially been trying to deconstruct that ever since. And when I got into business, I've uh, been practicing law now for a little over 31 years. And almost immediately, I started to interact with clients and developing my own book of business. So I started meeting with people, many people, um, and developing client relationships and referral source relationships, et cetera. And so over the many, many years, I started to develop a census to the patterns of people when we meet each other and how we develop a long-term emotional connection with them. And so I really, at the beginning of the pandemic, started thinking through how can I put together a playbook, if you will, a toolbox, really for myself initially, just to kind of give myself a system. And I started writing down things that I have done, I've noticed other people do things that work from the moment you meet someone to hit it off to then developing that long-term emotional connection to maximize the likelihood of really achieving your goals in a business or a personal relationship. So I wrote down essentially 21 things that I now call rules. They're really common sense, intuitive things that I use every day. And uh, then I said, you know what, I don't want it just to be me 
saying this, I want to do some research. So I ended up really delving into psychological, sociological, business studies, and expert commentary around these intuitive things. And what I've done in the book, Hit It Off, is I've married the science with the intuitive common sense. And that's where I think true mastery is. And a lot of times, a lot of people, you know, we may think these things are intuitive or common sense, but as we all know, common sense isn't a com- <laughs> as common as we like it to be. Yeah. But I think if people truly, truly understood the efficacy of these intuitive common sense things, people would be more sensitive to it and be more confident in using them in their day-to-day life and in business. That makes a ton of sense to me. And uh, I can always benefit from these things. And I think our listeners can too. So I want to, maybe um, we won't go through all 21, but we'll probably have time to go through your top five. What would you say is, and let's work backwards so we end with number one. What would you say is um, (laughs) top five? What's, you know, like a music show. Uh, What would number five be? Oh boy, there there really are so many. Um, It's hard to put a priority, frankly, on any of these. Um, But one that I could really, that really comes to mind is, this concept of if you are at risk of disagreeing with someone, really try to find common ground. Um, And basically, this is what we all should be doing every day. Um, Our politicians should be following this rule. And essentially, what the science says about this is, you know, we oftentimes fall into the, I would argue, a lazy... um, uh, opinion-oriented colloquy where we suffer from the illusion of explanatory depth. That's a scientific term that basically means that we tend to fool ourselves into thinking we know more about a topic than we really do. And we kind of confuse a, a cursory or general idea of something with deep, in-depth knowledge. And that's really where a lot of discussions falter, a lot of negotiations falter. And that's something that if we all tried to practice pivoting, a conversation around the discussion, around things that we all can agree on, governing values, okay, common ground, if you will. And that's something that will get to compromise, which is really the goal of every relationship. Because to achieve a goal, it has to be win-win or else you've got a taker and a maker. We don't want that sort of relationship or those relationships in life. So basically, it gets you to a point where you practice the skill, and you really are able to help the other person achieve their goal by really understanding their true interests and really railing around common values and governing values, if you will. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think in the context of, um, you mentioned our politicians, I think there was once a time where people kind of rallied around, you know, America and the Constitution and kind of all agreed that America and the Constitution were kind of non-negotiable. We love our country. We believe in patriotism. Uh, Our Constitution is our Constitution. And I think today the discourse is kind of morphed into, well, maybe the Constitution was written by a bunch of old people of a particular race and it doesn't apply the way it once did. And and there's a lot of discussion on what were once um, non-negotiables. And I think that's part of why we are where we are. And uh, I just want to remind everybody, we're on with Joe Brocato. He's uh, the author of Hit It Off, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships. And we're going through the top five, in his opinion. And they are hard to to kind of quantify that way, but we're going to do it for the sake of time. 
And when we come back, we're going to discuss the next two, numbers four and number three. So don't move a muscle. We're on with Joe Brocato. Our phone number, if you have a question, you want to weigh in, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Joe Brocato, who is the author of Hit It Off, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business. And uh, I, I can tell you, you know, A, I deal with people on the radio all the time and in business and in real life. And in, in real life, that's sometimes the hardest relationship to have, right? Because they're personal relationships, maybe somebody that you're dating. And, you know, we oftentimes have an idea of what's right, but we don't always know what's right. And it's not always articulated when it's in our mind, at least for me. So I think hearing these rules kind of spelled out is very beneficial. Joe Brocato, let's go to the next rule in our top five. Go right ahead. All right. Like I said, there really are so many rules to choose from. Uh, one that I, I particularly enjoy is, and, and I try to practice, is something that you always have to practice is rule number four. Consciously listen to build acceptance. You know, when we are in a conversation with someone else, <clears throat> oftentimes we just kind of let our um, you know, our laziness take over. We're listening to someone, maybe we're daydreaming, we're thinking about something else thinking about what to say next. Like not actively listening. You're not actively listening. And, and when you're not actively listening, what happens is, or when you do actively listen, let's flip it around. What the science shows is that the other person feels accepted. There is a kind of um, a circle of trust that is built in the person that you're talking to. They become more vulnerable to share and to discuss with you perhaps issues that are more delicate and they start to trust you. And we have to remember that listening is not a passive act. It's a very proactive act, something that we really have to be mindful of. And frankly, all of these rules are under the umbrella of critical thinking and mindfulness at the, as, they, as those two things apply to the interpersonal dynamic. Yeah. And so mindful, being mindful, intensely aware, not just of the words someone is saying, but obviously really trying to understand the intent, because we're all thinking and hearing things through our own lenses. So when you critically think, you have to leave your biases as much as you can at the door. You have to carefully assess information, and you really have to effectively communicate. And if you're truly listening to someone, you're going to build up that acceptance in the individual they're going to feel like they're being heard right. and then they're going to be more trusting of you and the science proves that out so that's a very potent one because people when you're truly listening to mm-hmm. someone that's when you can communicate because if people are talking over each other you're not really understanding each other it's not going to work 
Let me ask you, because uh, I think this is an important one, and I, I feel like I, I, I tend to do this from time to time. I hope I do it more often than not. But what's a good example when you're saying, you know, trying to gain acceptance and build trust? Uh, what would a, a go-to phrase be or something that uh, kind of would make this a little bit more concrete for those that are listening? Well, certainly if you're in a discussion with someone, um, asking someone to perhaps clarify what they've said or repeating or summarizing what they've said just to make sure that you're on the same page because you can think that you've understood the intent behind the words, but it may not be exactly what was intended. So every situation is different. Depends on the words that are said, depends on a person's body language, um, the environment that you're in. And this is really where I think a lot of communication breaks down because people have their sure. own agendas. Right. Cause and you, you say one thing and if I don't exactly. check with you to say, so what you're saying is, and give it back to you the way I got it, you can go, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying the exact opposite, right? And you can have that chance to clarify so that they can truly feel heard. They can truly feel heard. And it sounds intuitive. It sounds common sense. And guess what it is? But all we need to do as individuals is really pay attention to the conversations that we have going forward and really being discerning as to the dynamic. And that's right. where mindfulness comes in. We have to be present in the moment, making sure that we're effectively communicating with people. And this is a big breakdown, frankly, in our society. You know, if you talk about politics as, as an example, you've got people on all different sides of things that are not listening to each other. And that's one of the biggest problems we have in politics right now. Yeah, talking right past each other. What's number three looking like? Wow, you're putting me on the spot in terms of picking that's out my, my job. kids. <laughs> well, I would say that uh, rule number 13, caring through your actions, is something that's near and dear to me because, you know, when we are empathizing with someone, trying to put ourselves in their shoes and we care about someone, it's very easy to stop there and maybe to say, I'm sorry, um, you know, that you suffered that loss or what have you. What the science shows is that if you go a step further beyond just the empathy and actually take a concrete step to act, to show how much you care, science shows that that exponentially increases the connection and the bond. Remember, the whole idea of the book is to really not only hit it off with someone from the moment you meet them, but build up a long-term emotional connection with them because that enhances your ability to achieve your goals in the relationship. So, for example, if someone, um, you know, suffers a loss in their family, and it's one thing to say, I'm so sorry, my deepest condolences, which you should say, and, and that's very, you know, important. However, to go a step further and show up at the service, send flowers, send food to the home, whatever the case might be, that is a concrete step that has a very scientific base of bonding. And that's one great way, not just with obviously unfortunate deaths in the family, but any way people are in need of something. For example, I do a lot of business development and it's not uncommon for me to be sitting across from someone in a meeting and we're talking about how we can help each other. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, I've got somebody really good for you to meet. Okay, most people will never make that introduction. You take a concrete step and say, yes, I want to help you. And by the way, 
I'm emailing someone right now. I'm going to make that introduction. That is a concrete step Take that enhances you in that person's eyes, and that ultimately right. comes back with gratitude, goodwill, and hopefully some business in return. Outstanding. We're coming right back with Joe Brocato to discuss uh, the top two in, in our segment here. Of course, there's 21 rules in his book, Hit It Off, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. The book is called Hit It Off, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business. The author is Joe Broccato. We've discussed finding common ground, uh, gaining acceptance, being empathetic, and now we're down to the last two. Joe Broccato. Here we go. Last two. Um, now, rule number 17, give respect to get respect. Um, when we respect people, this is sorely missing. I think we've lost the art of respect in this country and this world at this point. But really, really saying, I understand someone, where they're coming from, that people are important, that they're serious. Everybody wants to be respected and it's been shown really to be essential to healthy relationships. Like I said, this is something that we all have to focus on, whether we agree with somebody or don't agree with them. Respect mm -hmm. is very important. The last rule, rule number 21, it's really gifting positivity for positive results. I wrote a book in 2014 called Happy is Cool, How to Ignite the True Happiness in You. And I did a lot of research around the topic of happiness and injecting positivity into the relationship. I did research for this book. It is specifically tied to the success of a relationship. But again, it's very proactive. We have to take responsibility for our own happiness through happiness interventions, coaching or otherwise, and really emulate what Martin, Martin Seligman, one of the top positive psychologists in the field mm -hmm. of happiness, says is authentic happiness, doing what you truly love to do. If we're able to inject positivity in every relationship we have, whether it's in business or personal, we're going to enhance the possibility of success in that relationship. That's outstanding. I, I can tell you, Joe Brocato, I've, uh, these are all rules I think I've, I've come across or seen or in one way, maybe not quite, uh, quite uh, as eloquently articulated as you've put them in business and in my regular life. But one place that I, I got to tell you, I haven't used them and I can really benefit of, to use them is as a parent. Uh, I feel like yep. oftentimes it becomes very authoritarian, very autocratic. I'm your father. I said so. And, and, and you can get stuck in that very quickly being from my generation. But this is all of these really would improve my um, relationships with my children. And I'm definitely going to put them into play. Joe, let everybody know how they can get the book. Well, you can visit my website at hititoffthebook.com. It's available online, really anywhere where uh, books are sold, um, Barnes & Noble, um, several other bookstores as well that carry hardcover books. Um, you can visit me at all my socials, Joe Bercato Official. You stay uh, abreast of book signings and other information that comes out from time to time. I love everybody to, uh, to follow me. All right, folks, give him a follow on social media and check out the website, hititoffthebook.com. Joe Broccato, thanks for your time, for staying up late with us. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. Folks, more to come straight ahead. It's Open Phone America, and it starts right now. 
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be with you on this Monday evening. Uh, tonight is the uh, 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, and earlier today, if you missed it, feel free to check it out on the podcast or on our website, richvaldezamericatnight.com. Uh, we had America's Mayor Rudy Giuliani recounting some of the uh, horrific uh, stories from 9-11, as well as uh, explaining his legal strategy to defend himself in this uh, RICO racketeering indictment that he's been embroiled in, uh, falsely in my opinion, or wrongly I should say, in uh, Fulton County, Georgia, brought by District Attorney, rogue District Attorney, Funny Willis. And uh, we're going to keep an eye on Funny Willis and all of her shenanigans. Uh, there's also a bunch of other stories that I want to get to tonight. And, of course, I'm going to give you the phone number so you could join the conversation. This is our late-night national town hall conversation, and we don't have it without you. So I'm looking forward to hearing you sound off on the issues of the day. 833-482-5337 is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's an interesting story coming out of uh, The Hill, thehill.com. And listen to this. Two 9-11 victims... Uh, have been identified by New York officials, but 40% of the DNA collected is still unidentified. And it's been uh, 22 years. Just uh, remarkable, in my opinion. Remarkable that that we still have not... I mean, we knew the people that were in the building. How do they... Um, you know, how does that happen? Um, anyway... I want to uh, continue with uh, some of the stories that we've got here. Uh, do you remember the time? I don't remember when that was, but not too long ago, last year or so, maybe the year before, there was a dad whose daughter was sexually assaulted in the bathroom by a male student in high school in Loudoun County, Virginia, and he was wearing a skirt, and they allowed him to go into the girl's room because he identified as a girl. And the dad brought this... Um, concern to the school board and made an impassioned plea to the school board and was removed in handcuffs and then arrested for disorderly conduct when he did so. Well, uh, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin has pardoned Scott Smith. Uh, we've had him on the program, and it was a remarkable story. Uh, the actual school officials that were in uh, in charge, I think the superintendent and another official, were eventually indicted for their handling of this. So kudos to Scott Smith, who um, went through a lot. And I'm glad that his um, disorderly person's arrest and that subsequent conviction uh, have been overturned and in a pardon by Governor Yunkin. Let me see. There's a couple of other things I want to talk about here. Uh, this is not a big story, but it's an interesting one. There's a report now that McDonald's is planning on phasing out self-service soda fountains. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense because people keep getting refills, which is, I think, the idea of the free refill because fountain sodas were, you know, historically cheap. But nothing's cheap anymore, right? 
because we're, we're in this age of inflation where everything costs an arm and a leg. So that's where we are with, with respect to that one. And there was another story I wanted to jump into. Actually, it was a clip of audio. I wanted to get into this audio because uh, not only is Biden visiting um, Hanoi, Vietnam to solidify the partnership with Vietnam, but we also have the fact that China is so invested and controlling so many of the interests in Vietnam that, in effect, in my opinion, Biden is solidifying a partnership with China. And China seems to be nothing but aggressive and aggressive and more aggressive. Now, you couple that with Kim Jong-un visiting Moscow, and it, it sounds like a joke. Like, you know, What do you get when, uh, when Biden walks into uh, Vietnam and has a conversation with the president there? Or what do you get when Kim Jong-un and Putin walk into the same room? It sounds like a joke, but it's really going on. That's what we, we have on the global stage. And we had a pretty interesting conversation with Frank Gaffney earlier. If you were a party to that, super. If you weren't, check it out at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Now, there's also a big story that's coming out of New Mexico where the governor, uh, Michelle Grisham, on Friday, she said that she can declare an emergency and suspend the Constitution, effectively disallowing law-abiding citizens from having a concealed carry weapon, which is, you know, the law of the land in her state. And, and I'm thinking to myself, this is a very bad idea. And I, I have to say, I'm going to harp on this a little bit, and I know you guys know it, and I'm preaching to the choir. But when you have, when you have a law-abiding citizen that goes through the fingerprinting process, the FBI background check, the cooling off period, waiting five days, whatever the case is, and they're exercising a right, right? A natural right, a God-given right, something that's enumerated in the Constitution, not given by the Constitution, but just reflected there. How on earth do we come to a place where we think that taking away one's rights makes us safer? I just, the math doesn't add up to me. Listen to Governor Michelle Grisham. You took an oath to the Constitution. Isn't it unconstitutional to say you cannot exercise your, your carry license? With one exception, and that is if there's an emergency, and I've declared an emergency for a temporary amount of time, I can invoke additional powers. No constitutional right, in my view, including my oath, is intended to be absolute. There are restrictions on free speech. There are restrictions on my freedoms. In this emergency, this 11-year-old and all these parents who have lost all these children, they deserve my attention to have the debate about whether or not in an emergency we can create a safer environment. Because what about their constitutional rights? I took an oath to uphold those two. And if we ignore this growing problem without being bold, I've said to every other New Mexican, your rights are subrogated to theirs. And they are not, in my view. Now, that is something I would just want to weigh on right away. So she's, you know, this is the art of rhetoric. And I think some people are skilled rhetoricians. She's not, in my opinion. But I can tell you that people will buy this, right? When you talk about this 11-year-old and the parents that have lost these children, 
that catches the attention and it catches my attention, right? Because I had an 11 year old twice. You know, my, my youngest daughter is about to be 18 in just a few days and my oldest daughter is 22. And I can tell you that, you know, you talk about kids and, and defending children and I'm right there with you. And I'm going to listen to what you have to say because I have a vested interest in my children, their friends, the rest of my community, all children in America doing well, that we all should have that vested interest in our children. However, when you, when you wave this shiny object called protecting children but with your left hand, but with your right hand, you're using sleight of hand to now try and usurp constitutional power that rests with we the people in the name of protecting said children – this is, this is egregious, and it, it should not be done, but it's done. And this is why I want to call her out on this, because people that are carrying their gun in a concealed manner in New Mexico, 100% of those people are not responsible for these deaths. That's just the bottom line. The people that are killing people are wicked people, evil people, murderers. That's a fact. But you can't, even if you want to call it 1%, and I don't, it def, definitely does not amount to that, but even if you wanted to call it 1% for the sake of argument, 99% of people that she's going to try and prevent from carrying their firearm and exercising their Second Amendment right, which again, it's not a, a what, the first part of what she says is wrong, right? And I think we, we've seen that with, the Supreme Court decision that came out that said, no, you can't infringe on the Second Amendment, right? And now New York is scrambling to redo their law and they're going to have to go to an appeal and, and get overturned in court. New Jersey's done the same thing. So, all right, sure, you can have a concealed carry, but you're going to have to have additional insurance. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to take this course. You're going to have to do that. And for many people who I guess are not uh, owners of firearms and for some that are, and if you are, you can call and share your opinion on it. They feel that that's reasonable. It's reasonable to have a limitation on a constitutional right. Now, I'm not saying that there is no limitation on certain constitutional rights. It's not a subjective matter. This has nothing to do with what I think makes sense. This has to do with what's written in the Constitution. It's very clear. Right? So your rights to free speech, of course there's a limitation on it, and they've been, they've been outlined in the cases and challenges that have been issued and different opinions over the years. So the famous example of not yelling uh, fire in a crowded theater or what they call the fighting words doctrine, These are this is not protected speech. And, and I get that. And so, yeah, is that a limitation? I, I would say it's, it's a carve out. I mean, if you want to use the word limitation, you can. And saying that it's not absolute, okay, granted, I get that. It is what it is, though. Right. It is what it is. I don't think anybody's saying that it's something other than it is. And, and, and in this case, when you have shall not be infringed and you have the court weighing in on this and legal scholars lined up all day saying you can't just ban people in all of Manhattan or saying if there's a sidewalk or if it's this close to whatever, that then you can't carry it because that would be an unconstitutional limitation on one's Second Amendment right something that was just decided in the Supreme Court for the sake of clarity, overturning, I think it was a 40-year-old law in New York. So it, it amazes me how this is about you not being able to carry your gun. And this woman, Governor Grisham, 
who has a middle name here. I don't know if that's a first last name, if it's hyphenated, Michelle, L-U-J-A-N. I don't know if that's Luan, Lujan, Luhan. I, I don't know, honestly, which pronunciation she goes with. But Governor Grisham, when she says that this is in the name of children, uh, shame on her. Shame on her. Because it literally is, in my opinion, the same as saying there were people that have taken cars and run people over, and we're going to ban cars. In, the, in, in an event of an emergency, we're banning cars and, so that you can't use the car as a weapon to hurt people. What we need to do is ban bad people. And guess what? We have that. There are crimes against these things. And this conversation continues. I just interrupted this because I wanted to make that point. And I'll get to the rest of this audio on the other side of the break. But I want to get your opinions on this as well. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. I'm so glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that... I hope the rest of America listens to you every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, before we get to your calls, and I see that there's several people on hold, we're going to get to you momentarily. I want to finish this clip from Governor Grisham of New Mexico uh, having a back and forth with someone at a town hall meeting, a resident, that um, was calling her out every step of the way. He starts with saying, you took an oath to the Constitution. Isn't it unconstitutional to say you cannot exercise your carry license? She goes on to give her spiel that you heard in the last segment, saying that in her view, she can declare an emergency, and in that emergency, she could suspend your rights uh, because governors have police powers. Uh, to, to do these things, whether or not they're doing it justifiably is uh, another question. And we saw this with COVID. We've seen it in, you know, in several situations. And now she's trying to exercise this here. Uh, but she goes on with this unknown person that she's arguing with where him saying, you know, wait a minute, we're talking about crimes. Listen to this. Well, wait a minute. Now, you're talking about crimes. There are already laws against the crimes. So how are there? Right I got it. But, but again, if I'm unsafe... Who's standing up for that right? If this climate is so out of control, somebody should do something. I'm doing as much as I know to do. Madam yep. do you really think that criminals are going to hear this message and not carry a gun in Albuquerque on the streets for 30 days? Uh, no. But here's what I do think. It's a pretty resounding message. So there she goes. She admits they're saying, listen, you want to put a 30 day, um, you know, a suspension of constitutional rights saying you're not going to have guns on the street for 30 days uh, that are concealed. And and she thinks that this is a pretty resounding message. She's admitting that this is pure politics. She knows that the everyday Americans who are carrying in New Mexico 
are not criminals, but she's willing to treat them as such for the sake of making a political statement. That's not what her police powers are for. I don't think, I think it, it does send a very resounding message, a resounding message that power in the hands of someone like Governor Michelle Grisham is like giving power to Fidel Castro. It's absolute insanity to say that you're a law-abiding citizen, so you can't whatever. Or, you know, there, there was a vehicular homicide. Somebody used a car as a weapon. So therefore, I'm going to suspend your right to drive for 30 days so that you can't do that. And that's not even a right, right? For most people, it is a privilege to drive, right? These are driving privileges. That's why you get points and you get tickets and you can get your license taken away. That's not in the Constitution, although some argue that one's right to ambulate and is part of one's right to to the pursuit of happiness. Um, I don't know if there's a Supreme Court on case that a case that clarifies that, but I can say this is absolute insanity for this woman to even suggest that we're going to punish everybody for things they've never even done. Just absolute insanity and do it in the name of protecting children when these children are not under threat by these people. Anyway, let's get to your calls. Uh, we've got Mark in Cleveland, WNIR. Go right ahead. Yeah, good evening, Rich, and it's a it's my pleasure to speak with you. I think I've been listening to you for quite some time, and uh, you generally hit the nail on the head, in my opinion. Okay, uh, thank you. Concerning this this governor um, woman, she's totally off track. Um, it sounds she's confused, or I don't know what the 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 going crime rate is now with, with people, criminals using guns in, in New Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. Or carrying them. Yeah. Using them, carrying them. Well, yeah, I've been to New Mexico uh, a few times. I served in the U.S. Navy. and well, Thank I you for in, your service, Mark. Yeah, I, I was stationed in Long Beach and Guam, actually, and then my ship went to Long Beach. But I, I had relatives that lived in New Mexico, so... I have been there a couple of times, and it's a, a nice. It was a nice community where they lived, and basically, uh, uh, to be honest with you, there it was pretty much. I'd say uh, a lot of people from Mexico. Now, this lady <laughs> is well. That's why they call it New Mexico, right? Uh, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. The music means I got to go, but I appreciate the call and your kind words, folks. We're coming back to the rest of your call straight ahead. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. It's Open Phone America, and we're coming right back with your calls. Don't move a muscle. Mr. Call Screener who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Getting to your calls momentarily, 833-4-VALDEZ. But first, I want to remind you of what... Eric Adams said, he's the mayor of New York City, I call him elite Eric Adams, uh, what he said on MSNBC yesterday with respect to New York City being a sanctuary city, 
But then he says, but nobody ever anticipated we'd be dealing with hundreds and thousands of people. This man's excuses are absolutely pathetic. Listen to this. Because critics on the right have noted that New York City is a sanctuary city. And this migrant crisis comes with that territory. So what do you say to those who think uh, you relinquish your right to complain about the stresses it places on your city because of that? Well, I, I think that those comments coming from those far-right Trump-like Republicans who are continue to try to distort the reality that uh, we do not have real immigration reform. Hold it now. What is real immigration reform? What is that? Right? Because we hear these terms, immigration reform, immigration reform, comprehensive immigration reform. This is a code word, a code word for legalization of, of illegal immigration. It's, it's just like uh, when they talk about um, real reform on crime, they're talking about pro-crime prosecutors, right, that just coddle the criminals to allow them to commit more crimes, you got to watch the language and the terminology that a lot of these crazy leftist uh, Democrats use because they're really spinning things out of control. And listen, that's not just on the left. You see it anywhere. But they, they seem to have mastered this art. Now, he's going to go on to explain what he thinks is a real immigration reform. He calls it a true decompression strategy. Listen to this. Uh, that we should allow a true decompression strategy, uh, protect our borders in the right way, and make sure that when you look at this city, the status of uh, right to shelter, of no one who created this uh, decades ago uh, took into account that we were talking about uh, hundreds of thousands of people potentially coming to coming to the city. So there you go, Eric Adams struggling to get through a, a, a run-on sentence here. And what the problem that I see with this is he says that we have to protect our borders the right way. Well, sir, I think that's what 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 the uh, Trump like Republicans that you were just trashing, right? Far right Trump like Republicans is what he said a moment ago. This is what we've been calling for for just forever and a day saying, you know what? This is unsustainable. If we don't check immigration now, we're going to have hundreds and thousands of people potentially coming to New York City. Well, voila, there you have it, sir. It's here. You're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And now you're whining and crying about it. I don't know what we got to do to get Mayor Eric Adams on this program. I would love to have a conversation with him about this. I think this guy's on every side of every issue and he makes no sense to me. But we'll see if we can make that happen. For now, we're going to go to the calls. If there's an open line, feel free to get in. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let's go to Dennis in Millington, Tennessee. Dennis, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, The reason I called is about the Tommy Tuberville situation. And I don't understand why... It's so important to give these people another star on their shoulder to get them into positions. Why? I mean, they could be put in there as an interim basis, but I'm sure they do the best job they could until they got that next star. So to me, this delay in their promotions doesn't mean anything to maybe their pay scale. We could pay them back pay. I, I just don't understand why it's such a big thing that they think that the military is going to go downhill because of them not getting their promotions right now. Right. Well, I think there, there, there's two things here that might be conflated. Uh, number one, I, uh, I, I, I don't know anybody in their right mind who would want to get a, a promotion and not get it 
and get a promotion and not get the money till later, right? I would say that's your problem, not mine. Let's move it along here. I earned the promotion. Let me get it. I think that's part of the problem. Uh, I think the other part of the problem is Tuberville's trying to stand up for what he believes is right and and what he feels he needs to do constitutionally. So this is truly a um, a tug of war where there's there's you, uh, understandably, I think we can go both ways. I would think it's it's not fair to to the people that are being held up that we just say, well, listen, just keep doing the best job you can and we'll get you the promotion when you can. And if we can get you some back pay, we will. Ultimately, we have to cross this bridge at some point. And he's using whatever political leverage he can use to get to that, which I think is a good thing. He, he needs to do that. It's just the, they're paying the price. So I wouldn't want to minimize what they're going through. I know for me, for example, my contract expires, I don't know, 2025. If they told me, listen, we're just going to keep you at the same rate. You know, we'll try and get you some back pay later. But just for now, just keep going. Uh, you know, I, I would be all out of sorts you know, saying, no, hold on a second. Let me call my lawyer. That's not how this works. So I think that's part of it. Uh, I think people in the military have earned a promotion. And, and, and that is what it is. Uh, and I think Tumberville is also right in his uh, approach that he's trying to shed light on a very important issue that needs to be addressed. Dennis, thank you for your call from Millington, Tennessee on WKIM. Thank you so much, sir. Let us continue. Uh, let us go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WRNN, and check in with Al. Al, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Thank you, Rich. Um what I want yes, to say is um, we're being set up for another another 9-11 type event. These people in Washington are, are doing this on purpose. The border, how many people that have, they call them the gotaways? Yeah. These people aren't just interested in farming. They they say that they've caught, uh, they, they've intercepted, what, a couple hundred um, or a couple thousand um, people on the terrorist watch list? How many mm-hmm. people have gotten through the gotaways? Right. They're doing this on purpose. That's the sure. whole idea. They're trying to set us up. For yeah, well, I, I think you're right. Event. I don't know if it's going to be a 9-11 type event, but I can tell you we're definitely uh, uh, being set up. And, and ideally, I'd say we're being set up to fail. Uh, th- there's a massive transfer of human beings happening right now, whether the impetus is to be in bed with the cartels, in bed with China, uh, to just turn a blind eye to what's going on. And that's what I truly think it is. I really believe Biden has made a deal and he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever happens, happens. what do you need? You know, you need me to be easy on the border. I'll look the other way. No problem. How much are you going to pay me? Drop it off with my buddy Hunter. My son Hunter will be in touch and uh, we'll figure out how to get, you know, pay this company. Then you can pay the other company. The other company can pay the other company. And, you know, for all I know, China's, you know, involved in this in this racket with the cartels. And we, we have no idea where this thing starts and ends. We do know what's happening and that they're bringing children across the border. Lots of young, able-bodied men are coming across the border. They're not even Hispanic in most cases. Uh, they're people coming from 100 different nations. Uh, the, the stuff that we saw outside the Roosevelt Hotel in New York City where a bunch of young men, there were almost no women from the pictures I saw and the videos I saw, uh, just pretty much young men. Uh, from um, northern the northern part of the African continent that were in the United States and they're here and many of them were you know uh, saying they were Haitian and but they weren't Haitian they were they were from again doesn't matter where they're from but I think it it 
creates context for what's really going on at the border. This is not a bunch of guys from the Northern Triangle, as they like to argue, saying, oh, the United States disrupted the Northern Triangle. And because they did, we owe these people. What what did we do? I mean, if we're going to sit here and think of every single place on the planet where the United States is viewed as um, not very friendly, persona non grata, if you will. And we're going to say no, because we did stuff in Africa once and we did stuff in, in, in Nicaragua and we did stuff in El Salvador. And every time you're going to point the finger and say, so we owe them this refugee resettlement. And I think if Biden comes out of his face and says, yeah, that's what I want to do, people will laugh him out of town. So he says, no, 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 we're going to secure the border, folks. We're going to do what we got to do. This is blah, 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 blah. I got hairy legs. And he gets into this whole spiel. But in reality, they're doing exactly that. And and I think there's people that suggest that they're doing it to increase their voter base. I think they're right. I think there's people that suggest they're doing it to have more people in the next uh, census count so that there can be more people per congressional district and maybe add a congressional district or have more funding per district, especially in districts that are solidly Democrat, which is why they're sanctuary cities to begin with. I think that's accurate, too. I don't think there's one silver bullet or magic answer to why they're doing what they do. The motive is going to be speculative always, but uh, the result is not speculative, right? We can definitely see the result that you've got Mayor Adams crying for help because the city's being overrun. It's overrun with crime. I also I shared a video on my Instagram feed the other day. Uh, I forget where it was from, but you could see it if you check it out on my Instagram stories, and you could see that there were homeless uh, illegal aliens sleeping inside of a police department, and it's just. How is this actually happening? I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to get to your calls straight ahead. We've got calls from New Mexico and other places coming in right now. We're going to get to you straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. got Marxists in the military. We've got Marxists in Fulton County, Georgia, coming after America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. And we've got a Marxist governor in New Mexico who says you should be arrested if you carry a concealed carry permit in Albuquerque. Absolute insanity. Let's hit the phones. Mary Kay giving us a call from Las Cruces, New Mexico on KOBE. Mary Kay, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thank you. Uh, not only is it the concealed carry, it is also open carry. We can open carry in New Mexico. It's illegal. And uh, that's either a sidearm or a long uh, gun. You can open carry. Um, and the governor has, she's being really stupid because Albuquerque has had a crime problem for years. 
And she's been a governor now for five years. And uh, now all of a sudden there's this health emergency and she has to uh, uh, mandate this. uh, In the name of COVID, no guns, right? Pardon? So it's, it's as if she's saying in the name of COVID, no more guns. No, no, it's not in the name of COVID. It's in the name of a few children have been killed. No, I understand. But she, she's declaring it a, a health emergency as they did with COVID. That's the, um, the uh, parallel that I'm drawing. Now, how do you pronounce the governor's middle name? It's Luhan. Luhan. Michelle Luhan Grisham. Yeah. You must be very proud of her. Oh, my goodness. I would. <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't say what I would like to do to her over the. Uh, <laughs> You're probably right. It'll never go away once you say it on the radio. Well, uh, I think uh, it's it's important for, for New Mexicans like you to continue to sound off and, and let her know how you feel. And it seemed like this town hall was well attended by the citizenry and them actually, you know, stepping up and saying, I think you're wrong. And her saying, well, I think I'm right and I'm going to use whatever power I have. And it, it seems to me, Mary Kay, that she's got uh, a power issue and she, she doesn't care about the rule of law. She doesn't care about what really is happening in New Mexico. She only cares about using this power to gain a political end rather than to govern and to serve the people. Well, the thing is about she's fussing about these children who were killed. Well, of course, that's a tragedy. Of course. There's no two ways about that. But she and the legislature, and they're almost all Democrats. Democrats have been in the majority of the House and Senate here for 60 years. Uh, except for one two-year term about uh, four or five elections ago. And they passed a law here that uh, uh, abortions are just fine, and the clinics from other states where states uh, have clamped down on abortions, they've moved here. Uh, But she's worried about the children in Albuquerque may be being killed, but there are late-term abortions happening every day in New Mexico. And now they want to take away your guns on top of that. Uh, it's crazy what's going on. Mary Kay, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Las Cruces, New Mexico, K-O-B-E. We're going to continue with your call straight ahead in a speed round. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, it's time for another round of the speed round where we do four calls in four minutes. Let's begin. Let's go to Michael in Pendleton, Oregon, all the way on the West Coast, KUMA. Michael. Hey, uh, Rich, great to talk to you. Great show as usual. Um, Thank you. Yes, I'll try to call in earlier next time, uh, but speed round. Uh, I wanted to compliment, uh, thank you for having me, uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani on. I think he's a great mayor, did a great job for New York City. I'm out here in Oregon, but I love his title, America's Mayor, and I feel like he's my mayor also. I think you're right. I think there's a lot of Americans that feel just like you. 
and think that, you know, he's standing up for so many of us. And I really mean that. I think a lot of people think that's rhetoric. It's not. What He's doing something that I wouldn't be able to do. He's able to raise the money to fight for something that and fight for it because he's a lawyer himself that so many of us would be just caught in the dark and, and probably crushed by the legal system if they were to come us, at us that way. So, Michael, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to Pendleton, Oregon, K-U-M-A. Let's go to Cleveland, Ohio, W-E-O-L. John, go right ahead. Yeah, I, I have something uh, that should take more than a lightning, but it's a, a really blockbuster uh, verified from Pentagon documents scandal mm. that is probably one of the most evil plots by uh, the, the Pentagon. It's called Pentagon's Operation Northwoods. Operation mm-hmm. Northwoods. If people look that up, they can actually see uh, one of the top uh, uh, whistleblowers and experts on the uh, super secret NSA receive these documents from Joint Chiefs of Staff, all of which signed off on an uh, evil plan to perpetrate terrorist attacks against Americans, explosions, mass shootings, and use that as a, a phony pretext, a fabricated pretext to, uh, to attack. Like a power grab, uh, right? To, uh, to, to attack. So we could Cuba. lose liberty and they could amass power in the name of security. And that's one of the oldest tricks in the book. I think Jefferson warned us against uh, saying, you know, never, you know, trade um, temporary, um, trade your liberty for what they call temporary security. And I think you're right now. I'll definitely take a look. I haven't seen Operation Northwoods, but I'm willing to take a look at it. John, thank you for the call from Cleveland, Ohio, W-E-O-L. Let's go to Katie. She's in Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Go right ahead. Hi, Richard. How's Senator um, Summer's Eve over there and the guns? The problem is simply this. She's on her period. So all we got to do is give her some pamperings and a box oh of Whitman's and likely brand all over again. <laughs> that's that's racist. No, it's sexist. No, it's you're some sort of phobe, Katie. I, I think she's off a rocker for sure, telling people that are law-abiding citizens that they can't carry their guns because she wants to declare an emergency to gain political points in the name of uh, uh, of the massacre of children, I think is it, it's just wrong, and she should be called out for it. Thank you for the call, Katie. I appreciate it, and it was a pretty funny call, too. <laughs> uh, let's go to Frank Cumberland, Maryland, WCBC. Frank, go right ahead. Please get some of these Marxists you've been talking about all night on the show. We uh, because they don't have a leg to stand on. We already are a communist country, or we're a welfare state, which is the same thing. We've adopted every major platform in the Communist Party, and the fact is that real communism just does not work in Cuba, Venezuela, North Korea. They're all starving. So, uh, and also, please find out. Why these communists have risen so high in the military? Who promoted them? It's Joe McCarthy. Yeah, well, I can answer that when Barack Obama put a lot of people that were communist sympathizers in office in, in every area of the government when he was in office. I don't think we're full-blown communist country, but I think that we have a lot of leanings in that direction, Frank, and we got to work on it. Thank you for the call. Big shout-out to WCBC in Maryland. Folks, we're coming back tomorrow with a discussion on this California law that says parents will be punished if they don't subscribe to transgenderism. Hasta la próxima. 
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.